several years ago when supply chain was disrupted, it was MOSFETs. It was a specific product category. And at that time, it seemed like everybody was caught helpless and stubbed their toe on the ottoman, so to speak. And where we are today is we, we, need, we can't afford to be in another MOSFET situation. That voice is Gary Ortiz with Sonos, the home audio superpower. Under Gary's purview is supply chain management, which requires not just logistical knowledge, but a little bit of detective work as well. Uh, you know, all of these things are known knowables, but they're not served up to you on a silver platter. You have to go find these. And my colleague, he, he always says his spidey sense. And our job right now is to be doing more than spidey sense. Welcome to The Intelligent Engine, the Silicon Expert podcast that lives in the heart of the electronics industry. Brought to you by Silicon Expert. Silicon Expert is all about data-driven decisions with a human-driven experience. We mitigate risk and manage compliance from design through sustainment. The knowledge, experience, and thought leadership of the team, partners, and those we interact with every day expose unique aspects of the electronics industry and the product life cycles that live within it. These are the stories that fuel the intelligent engine. Today's spotlight is on Sonos, a company that's reinventing home audio. The Sonos DNA is making it easy to play what you love. Music, podcasts, movies, shows, audiobooks, radio, and more. And share it out loud with the ones you love. Sonos has more than 50 streaming services, over 500 patents, and distributes to more than 60 countries. And their social impact program, Sonos Soundwaves, supports quality music education around the world, providing children in need with opportunities to think creatively, raise academic achievement, develop social skills, and prepare for successful futures. Our guest is Gary Ortiz. His role at Sonos is to drive new and updated processes within the sourcing team in order to scale supply chain and meet company growth and profitability goals. He's here to talk about how constant vigilance of both suppliers and analytics can help avoid surprises within a delicately balanced supply chain. Gary, thanks for being here today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. So how long have you been with Sonos? I've been with Sonos for... Well, over two years. So it's uh, been a great experience thus far. And were you in audio or electronics before that? How'd you wind up there? I worked at a company called Haywood Industries that do pool products. And uh, so I, I was director of engineering for them. And I did an MBA towards the tail end. And I, my, in my cohort, I had a couple supply chain folks in there. And it just struck me as a, a way that I could stay within the technical realm without some of the product development from the design side challenges that I was just after 20 years a bit tired of. Yeah. And um, it's been an amazing journey. And the people that I work with now, we have amazing radio engineers and amazing product development just all around. And to be part of that is is spectacular. So what was your undergrad before you did the, the MBA? Was your background electrical engineering? Yes, yes, it was. So I did a lot of motor design before when I came out of school. Actually, during school and out of school, I got to work in aerospace. And aerospace is one of those places where when you first get there, it's so awesome. It's ex it's exciting. Yeah. But then you realize, wow, I just keep doing like this one little very narrow thing. But later on, you realize the amount of rigor and depth 
and and just discipline that you gain from that, you apply that the rest of your life. And I'm very thankful. And I can honestly say that starting there has really impacted my work ever since. I look back at that and working on the 777, the latest Boeing and the high lift group there. So it was pretty cool. We got to do some cool things. Yeah, boy, there, there's nothing like matters of literal life and death to make you pay attention to your design. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And it's the, the rinse, repeat, do it again. It, did it fail the same way every time? And yeah. It was eight years of working on that program and it had started before I got there. So mm. when you fly, you just realize how important and how amazing the reliability and the, the testing and the confidence that they have built into the, the machine. It's, it's spectacular. It, it really it reminds me of the human body, like the complexity of the yes. number of things that could go wrong. It's a miracle every second we stay in the air or keep breathing. <laughs> you nailed it. Our, the body. It just does it automatically, most of the stuff. <laughs> the most complex machine. So, absolutely. So, where are you based? Are you in a, a Sonos office every day? Are you traveling? I'm in Boston. Sonos has headquarters in Santa Barbara, but we also have the offices in Boston. Mm-hmm. And so, that's my home base. We have... Equal lab capabilities in both. That's another really amazing place. We have a four-pie chamber in there. If you've ever seen, you go into these, you know what those are because obviously you're doing sound, but it is amazing to go in there. That floating floor and it's so big. It's awesome. Wow. So what is is that? You're doing product testing, frequency response, things like that? Yes, absolutely. And we bring in our calibrated ears, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And they test it and they really check and um, recheck and make sure we can get the signal processing just perfect at every frequency. Wow. So are you one of the people who loves the absolute lack of sound in there? Or are you one of those people who feels that you could be driven insane if you spent more than a few <laughs> seconds in there? <laughs> I'm I'm in the middle only because in aerospace, we used to have the EMI testing and stuff like this. So mm-hmm. we had a room close to that, but this is absolute detached. So yeah. it is the, the decibel loss. You, you feel your body. It's, it is amazing you, you warn people as you go in don't turn too fast because your your sensory perception change because you don't have references that you normally do that we take for granted and i've seen people go in there and, but me i'm okay i can be fine in there yeah but people get dizzy and yeah disoriented it's a real out-of-body experience yeah for sure wow very cool let's talk a, a little bit about supplier visits and what else goes into selecting suppliers for the new technology being developed. Can you talk a a little bit about how that process works? Sure. And I can talk about it in two forms, pre-pandemic and now. Pre-pandemic was, I think, what most people envision of a supply meeting, right? It was a lot of folks sitting around a table, one side making these promises and (laughs) showing you this real positive picture and taking what they say for face value and you pressure test a few things, you negotiate your price and you leave in handshakes and then you let people come and do the the formalization, you follow up with contracts and et cetera. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, that's very different. I think nowadays, because 
of just the many challenges that we are facing. Of course, the relationships are important. They're always, they always will be important. However, the world being what it is and the third, second order, third order type things that some of these suppliers are facing, you really have to get into the, the details of all of it. You can't take anything for granted. You want to understand their wafer situation. You need to understand how their back end and test facilities are doing. Because even if they have their stuff under control, movement control orders and, and other challenges that are exist around the world can prevent a, a product that they've manufactured to specification to get to me because nobody could pick it up or there's a variety of challenges. So making sure that you're taking that relationship and, and putting in then all of the, the right instruments that you can you know, hopefully avoid the, the, the no knowables as I like to call it. That's really important. <laughs> so are you looking up the supply chain from, from where they're sourcing their components as well? Yeah, you have to. And, and in many cases, sometimes that's a bit private or some of it yeah. is right. They don't like to divulge some of that information. So it, it does become a challenge at times, but then you rely on third party information and, and you can triangulate your way to that. And the bottom line is how much risk are we willing to put ourselves in? And whereas before we had a handshake and we you know, signed a piece of paper, now it's a handshake. You have to have your PO, you have to have your stuff ready to go because <laughs> <laughs> it's moving that fast. If one supplier goes down and another supplier has capacity and they're not constrained by the same challenges that mm. supplier A is, everybody's going to you know, try to figure that out and you, you really need to be first mover. And so you have to definitely be well prepared and uh, move quickly. It feels like that really underscores the importance of that human relationship too, even though we're talking about supply chain, very practical things. It seems like the relationship with that person maybe is going to get you better information and more more thorough information to, to really be able to vet them properly. Is is that still the, the case, even though you're not able to sit in a room with that person this year? It is the case. It's harder, right? We speak more with our body language than we do sometimes with our mouths. And so it, it does become difficult. And that's where newer relationships certainly were a challenge. But older ones, you can rely on certain previous uh, engagements. Yeah. But it, yeah, it has been more difficult. And especially for companies, take, for example, a, a Japanese company versus a Taiwanese company. There's just certain ways that they believe and conduct their business. And so it's still trying to maintain and work within those. It's been hard. It definitely is hard. Can you think sure. of, a, of a specific example of that cultural difference? Let's say whether it's between a Japanese company and a Taiwanese company that, that you could talk a little bit about it in just some, put it in some cultural context. Culturally for the Japanese, I think the Japanese uh, companies are, historically are very, they, when they make a commitment, they live to their commitment. They honor their commitment. They take their commitment very seriously. Being accurate and they will never say yes and let you down. But as you appreciate this, right? There's things that are out of all of our controls right. that are you know affecting us. So while we totally agree and would love for us to be in and all the time, they're just factors that we can get to. And so that that does 
pose a bit of a challenge, right? So I think in some cases I've seen where, you know, they won't commit as early and they'll always deliver, they'll always over deliver, mm-hmm. but they'd rather under promise and, and then over deliver. But nonetheless, my business people don't want to hear that. They don't, sure. no matter what I tell them, <laughs> what they're going to come through, they're going to come through. They, they want to see the part. They don't want to hear me. Say mm-hmm. that. So that's just an example of that. And I think you could see those cultural differences that way. And, and of course there's Hand signatures, some cultures, the, the formality of the agreement and mm. hand signatures, titles and levels mm-hmm. and making sure and ensuring that you have the right people. Yeah. And that's kind of hard. And, you know, where you're doing it all over Zoom, it's yeah. different. Those are just some of the, the things culturally that I think we've come across in addition to the other pieces that we've had to change Let's talk a little bit about the role evolving into an analytic driven role. So at a sourcing level, we're more at a strategic level, determining what suppliers we should be engaging with and putting in front of our product development teams. And then from there, making sure they're ethically correct and make sure that Mm. the products are good, all those things. So Sonos definitely has a a very high regard for corporate social responsibility. It's something we really pride ourselves on and push that towards our suppliers. So that's first and foremost, you got to pass those hurdles. Mm. And then once you get there as a sourcing manager, my role is to do the negotiations of contract price, timing, et cetera. And, and then we have a material planning team that would do more of the tactical pieces. So I think what I say here in terms of analytically driven, it's imperative for me to ensure that the things that I can control, the allocation or split, which is the amount of material that I would be granting the the supplier to sell to me. We split those up depending on certain areas, some areas we have to sole source them, Mm -hmm. meaning there are others out there that can provide this, but I have to pick this one because to have multiple software may not allow it, or there may be other challenges. So going through all those, but so once you have that of your internal things that you can control, there's all of these external pieces that how are they doing? How's this category as a whole is the, are there wafer shortages and what's their, what node designed in? And is that uh, constraints? I think very similar to what you would, what other analysts do, pick an industry, you know, their Wall Street, et cetera. You, you really have to use data to, to help form a picture and set those thresholds. And if you look at any one of the things onto themselves, they may not provide you that answer. But when you start putting data layers together into a graph and a chart, it forms a picture and, and it tells you things that could be either risky or not so risky. And then another example is, okay, so this supplier is working to, you know, sell us this part. And what's the chances of uh, them designing, what's the next generation? Maybe there's something that I could bring to my design team that says, hey, instead of using this one, maybe we should be looking at this one because that one's going to end of life soon. We use tools like Silicon Expert to help us with that. Where is this thing in its design life cycle? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great use of that. And so like again, just one piece of data. And as an analyst would do, you bring all those together and you've got to make a decision, but gone are the days where those decisions are, you are made without multiple aspects being considered. And there are so many aspects to consider the 
it seems like the the volume of data that you've got to take into account is not just wide, but it's deep. And presumably your timeline may not reflect that depth. Your timeline is still presumably driven by business decisions and you don't have the luxury of stretching this out forever to to spend months or years vetting a supplier or a part. So how do you keep things moving quickly enough to to keep up with the, the business needs? Getting involved early in programs is really helped set us up for success. There's no doubt about that. When I first started, that was one of the areas that I knew was critical. As a sourcing person, getting involved with our PD teams where they're in our program management teams and our the what we call product creation leaders, those are the people that have their finger on, hey, here's what we're going to do next. Here's what mm-hmm. we're here's the timing. And ensure that we're aligned there because if we can align there, we can start the team off. We can avoid coming in at the end, being the the armchair quarterback or Monday morning quarterback, <laughs> wet blanket, whatever you want to call yeah. it, and be like, sorry, guys, you can't use that part. <laughs> and it's something that was pretty knowable mm-hmm. in order to not at all jeopardize the velocity of our development. And you can imagine being in a consumer product, the velocity is high. It is tremendously important for us to to get involved early. And I think that's one of the biggest pieces in bringing some of those. And then I'm not afraid to say it, we're making the best educated guess to put us in that position. That's all we can do. And then be vigilant and stay on top of it. Because if there's one thing that we've all learned throughout this pandemic is change is coming. Change is going to happen. No doubt. That's for sure. Have the the pandemic-related supply chain disruptions, has that caused you to rethink how you source things? Does it cause you to seek components from more than the, the typical number of vendors that might be supplying a part? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We have had to rethink our what we call allocation strategy. Our allocation strategy has definitely become more diverse, where, again, where you try to get those very strong, deep relationships with suppliers. If that supplier has a problem, unfortunately, you have a problem. And again, it's a give and take, but where necessary. So we have had to come up with different ways and creative ways of doing that. And I think we've been very successful at modifying our allocation strategy to allow more additional suppliers, which is also created for our case team, what we call our continuing sustaining engineering team. They've really been amazing. They they have by far really allowed the sourcing team to get creative get parts. But there we've ended up with challenges there. So we've had to change. Like So for example, if we are going to change to a different or add a different component into a build, one of the things that we have now committed to our case team is we need to make sure we have six month supply or visibility to mm. supply because we've gotten into situations where they've qualified something only to find out that we didn't secure or we lost the secure of a, of a part. These resources are precious. And again, the opportunity costs of doing that is just, they're insurmountable. We really need to make sure that we're 
taking care of all of our Sonos resources, not just capital. The human resource has been very important. So, so yeah. Where do you think you all sit in terms of purchasing power with your suppliers? Is Sonos is such a, it's a household name from a consumer perspective, but I, I wonder where are you in the hierarchy of suppliers? Are you a powerful enough purchaser that you you find that suppliers give you priority or are you somewhere in the middle? That varies. That varies. And I'll tell you a couple of interesting uh, points on that. One, we're certainly not a um, tier one, as they call it, manufacturer, cell phones. Those are all uh, tier ones. Some of the other uh, products out there that I'm sure you either have or, or use, we're not there yet. But I will tell you, in just the short period of time that I've been here, we have definitely improved our position and our ranking amongst the level. Whereas companies before, I think, were taking a chance on Sonos because we were new, we were a startup. We didn't have as much purchasing power. And so as a result, we we consolidated our spends. We lot a lot of reuse of our uh, spend. And as we've matured and we've now released many more products, we were releasing products faster. The level and volume of purchasing that we do has gone way up. And so companies now are very attracted to Sonos because that name and that reputation, Mm -hmm. they definitely don't see us as the risk. And we, we are for sure putting ourselves in big positions. The, there's a couple companies that were small and we took a chance on them. And those companies now have gotten very large and never will forget that. Neither we. There are certain categories that we have really worked a strong relationship and grown together. And I think for those type companies, yes, we influence roadmap. We definitely get the priority, but there are others that we're just another number, another person. (laughs) And that's not to say that we don't have a strong relationship with them, but we're just not a tier one. And the orders of magnitude between us and some of these tier ones is it's, that's how they make their money. It's, it strikes me as you, you talk about working with in the early stages of the product development, I can't imagine how you could do your job as effectively as you do without your engineering background. Is that common in Within your your work group, are the the folks working with you and and under you on your team? Do most of them also have a, that engineering background? Everybody I work with is very technically talented. I am unique in terms of the only one on the team that has a engineering degree, electrical engineering degree, and and where it helps a lot is the efficiency at which I operate with my technical teams, and it's it definitely is. A benefit, and I see it in the industry. There's a lot of companies out there these days looking for sourcing managers with technical backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a variety of things. I think it has to do with the disciplined approach that engineers learn. And that's what we're taught. We're, we don't know everything, but we're taught how to solve problems and, right. and going about that in the systematic approach. Failure is not is not bad because technically you're learning just don't repeat them yeah <laughs> is really the key and then it becomes a failure otherwise <laughs> it's just a it's a learning the first time it's a failure if you do yeah. i love that line let's talk a little bit more about product evolution from the direction of the consumer as a, a daily user of sonos myself 
one of the things I've really appreciated is the ability to immediately from the controller submit feedback to presumably the product design team. Talk to me a little bit about how consumer feedback has gone on to influence product innovation at Sonos. It is our job to keep them happy. And we have a very solid, strong following. So UX, user experience, is at the top and the forefront of how Sonos operates. And the amount of rigor and thought that goes into the user experience is amazing. And it always makes me so happy when I'm traveling through an airport and I have my backpack that says Sonos on it and somebody stops me and I might be all different ages and of, of folks and they'll be like, I plug that in and I was able to operate that or I had this one little issue and I hit that button and wow, you guys are amazing. And that's what we want. I think we want to make it appear so easy for the user. And But when it's not working right, listening. And I think Sonos is definitely ensuring that we're delivering on our commitments. And I think we want to work so hard and make it seem so seamless that uh, the consumer just works, just works. I wonder if it's a, a little bit of a double-edged sword. Having such a passionate following, people like I identify with Sonos. That is part of my daily life. And to be so integral uh, as part of so many people's daily life, we come to rely on our Sonos systems to work flawlessly. I can't get my kids to bed if I can't play them the sleep story on the play one in their room. <laughs> and awesome. So the, the expectation is so high. We recognize that. And we're not afraid of it. We have very talented, very amazing people that can and do and will continue to drive and make the product everything that is expected of it and more. And we have an amazing roadmap. The, the years to come have been amazing. Our CEO, Patrick Spence, he's been, he's been a really great leader. And he's definitely got us set up for tremendous success. So it's an exciting company. It's exciting time. And the pandemic has definitely really highlighted how much people are home and, and how important sound is. We've definitely been humbled by that for sure. Speaking of being well set up, moving forward, are there efforts underway that you can talk about that pertain to upcoming enhancements and integration with newer technologies like Wi-Fi 6 and, and Bluetooth 5.1? Are, are there things you can talk about there that are in the works? I think in the works, Sonos is always working to improve, to rethink, reimagine, and bring that Sonos vibe to all parts of our life. Some of the things that we recently launched give you a really great glimpse into how Sonos has evolved. If you look at the product Rome that recently released, which is a portable, small battery operated radio with both Wi-Fi and that, which is an amazing piece and it's waterproof and it's drop proof and that kind of stuff. So it, it definitely that out of home experience, people want that out of home experience. And we, we had a product that we launched last year, the year before <clears throat> called move slightly bigger, amazing product. I love that product. Again, it's got waterproof uh, 
rating. But Rome was the follow-on to that. And so both of those allow you to be out and about. And the, the, the Rome is small enough where you can just put it in your backpack or your briefcase or something. And it's a fantastic small portable speaker that you can take on a hike if you're yeah. wherever. I used mine at the beach recently. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. It's, you can put it on the back of your chair and it's awesome. I, I cannot tell you how heard I feel right now because that, that has been something that I've thought so many times. I wish I could take my Sonos on vacation with me or to back to my hotel room if I'm out on the road or whatever it might be. I've thought so many times I wish it also had Bluetooth capability because it works so flawlessly at home. But when you're on the road, I got to bring my crappy little Bluetooth speaker with me and it's inevitably a horrible disappointment. So great news for me as a consumer. It's an amazing product. You won't be disappointed. It's It packs a punch. It's been designed with every bit of the rigor. We do all of our speakers, both of the Move and the Rome, amazing speakers. Gary, can you talk to us a little bit about roadblocks that you may have encountered, not only internally, but with the suppliers, specifically in light of the events of the last year and a half as we're coming out of this pandemic? We've definitely experienced lots of roadblocks and problems that have forced us to look at our practice, our processes, et cetera, but not only our own. This pandemic has definitely challenged things that we didn't think of before within our suppliers. Our suppliers also have learnings that they've undergone and areas that uh, maybe we didn't understand very well or took for granted. It's applied not just to Sonos specifically, but our partners. Mm -hmm. And so we have had the, that, I guess you would call double learning where we did everything we thought was right. And then all of a sudden they discovered <laughs> that there's a problem there. There used to be somebody there. There used to be this there and that's not there. Now we have to do something different. It's, it, it's been definitely a challenge. So how would we combat that? Bringing good people together and really assessing the situation and understanding the things that we can, again, things that we have pretty high confidence on and good, what we call sources of truth. Mm-hmm. And then the others that uh, maybe are okay, but the sources of truth, are, they're not there yet. And I think AI is one of them. I think the geopolitical risks that uh, go on in the world are definitely something that you can, in many cases, use to to determine where some of those roadblocks might pop up. I mentioned earlier, I think, a movement control orders mm-hmm. that exist in the world. Those are where in Malaysia, for example, they put roadblocks and they, they're trying to control the movement of traffic and people and getting to work sometimes can be difficult. Mm. Getting home from work can be difficult because you're only allowed to move within certain areas. So then your your labor force can't get to work effectively. So that interrupts wow. the cycles. It's been amazing. And but they post them and so but again, it's how quickly do you do you use them? And one of the things that we've been focusing on is exactly that. Okay, so an earthquake happens or something happens. And that's terrible. We we know that's terrible. Nonetheless, how quickly can we as an organization figure out how or what that has affected the supply chain specific to Sonos? 
and understanding where our foundries are or our suppliers foundries and pack houses and test houses mm. it really it helps and so ais are able to gather this information and put it in our laps where we can definitely learn from it and we can say okay hey yesterday there was a power outage at tsmc plant seven mm. it affected these lines the power outage was from this time to this time okay boom i get a text message or an email, and now I'm looking at, okay, how many parts do I have there? Oh, none, that's a, a 20 nanometer or whatever. Okay, not worried about it. Let's put that energy and effort into other places. So trying uh, to continuously improve that and, and keep that vigilance is the areas that we've been able to evolve and change. So the hysterics and the concerns get addressed quickly, right? Mm -hmm. That's really where we've been um, putting a lot of effort and led by the, the, the silicon expert group that we've been working with to design. It's, when I think about geopolitical risk, I think about the, the obvious things like war zones or tariffs, but it's the, the scenarios you're describing are so much deeper than that and are seemingly so off of the radar, where do you source the information for something like a power outage at a supplier's factory? So I've been working with a silicon expert and they there's a team that I work with that is helping me develop that. And because their silicon expert is tied into a lot of the distribution network and silicon expert has AI capabilities that they, it's a new group that they've they formed. I've been working with them to hone this process and this geopolitical risk. So right now we have events, anything from disease, obviously droughts, factory fires. We even have one in their port disruptions, just in case. Who would have ever predicted that a ship would have blown sideways and blocked the, the canal? canal right? yeah. So the power outages and then the unknown, it's just, we know that nobody's there. We know that it's closed or we know there was a disruption and trying to, to really assess what to do following those events. So it's been the AI is definitely coming a long way. We have geo risk scores that we're applying to or designing and putting limits and say, okay, if these conditions exist, it's at a high level, low level. And again, as a sourcing person, I need to sort through the noise. I need to get, as they used to call it, the wheat from the chaff, I think is what they used to say, mm -hmm. combining corners. I, I just want to, I just need to, like, so very colorful, very easy. Red is bad. Green is, <laughs> uh, don't, let's not worry about it. And the yellow and orange, hey, maybe we should. There's a potential risk. It's a possible issue there. If I'm not mistaken, when we had several years ago, when supply chain was disrupted, it was MOSFETs. It was a specific product category. And at that time, it seemed like everybody was caught helpless and hit the stub their toe on the ottoman, so to speak. And where we are today is we, we need we can't afford to be in another MOSFET situation whereby, you know, the industry was really challenged to, to get supply of MOSFETs. And what we're doing now are all the things that we wound up managing our way through MOSFETs, we're doing in advance to manage our way around MOSFET challenge, paying attention to 
hey, are we overly sourced or allocated on a particular process node? What's the industry doing to, what's the industry's capacity within certain nodes? All of these things are known knowables. And, but they're not served up to you on a silver platter. You have to go find these. And my, my colleague, he, he always says his spidey sense. And our job right now is to be doing more than spidey sense. It's to bring the evidence-based knowledge and evidence-based positions to, to provide to our business leaders as to why we should or should not be making a move. And I think that's what we're after now. And having the right intelligence and, and data feeds to start putting this picture together is what we're talking about. And that is absolutely our job as a manager is not to manage through the crises. It's to manage or avoid the crises altogether. And in many aspects, that's where we've really placed a lot of the effort and if tasks, because if we're managing through problems, that means we didn't avoid them. And, and while equally as important, and but it should not be the norm. The norm should be managing our way around, not through. And, and so I think that's where we, what we're building, the processes we've changed. I think that's how you can summarize all of that. Whereas again, I think uh, you can look back at history. There's been many episodes of things that have occurred that you can look back and we're, we're, we don't want to be looking back to learn. We're, we're trying to experience it and learn as it's happening. And of course, we can't predict everything, but the things we can predict, we're trying to. And the object is to be less wrong, I think. <laughs> and it sounds funny, but that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be less wrong today than we were yesterday. And tomorrow, we're going to be less wrong than we were today. And how are we doing it? We're, we're slowly but surely increasing our chances and probabilities of t understanding data and understanding the inputs that we have in front of us and going and getting those that we don't have and understanding which ones those are. Thank you so much for a great discussion, Gary. We really appreciate you being with us today. Uh, thank you very much. It was a great pleasure. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. And I'd like to thank our audience for tuning in to this episode of the Silicon Expert Intelligent Engine. Be sure to tune in for new episodes that will delve into more of the electronics industry. Upcoming episodes will explore the intricate financial nuances of finding the best possible pricing for your components, a deep dive into obsolescence reality, and an examination of the ever-expanding reach of Edge AI. This episode of the Intelligent Engine is sponsored by Sonos. Be sure to share our podcast with your colleagues and friends, and you can also sign up to be on our email list to receive updates and the opportunity to provide your input on future topics. Go to siliconexpert.com slash podcast to sign up. Until next time, keep the data flowing.